Hello and welcome to the Community Vault podcast. I'm your host, Virginia Wilson, the Communications Manager at Community Works. The purpose of this podcast is to share conversations surrounding financial equity and opportunity within the community. We will amplify voices that are creating solutions and speaking truth within their sphere, as well as give voice to resources that are offered through Community Works and throughout South Carolina and beyond. All right. Well, welcome to the Community Vault. I'm your host, Virginia Wilson, the Communications Manager here at Community Works. And today I'm joined by Tammy Hoy Hawkins, the CEO of Community Works, along with a member of the South Carolina House of Representatives, Chandra Dillard, and the President and CEO of the South Carolina Association for Community Economic Development, also known as SCASED, Bernie Mazik. Representative Dillard, Bernie, and Tammy, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Wonderful. Well, today we are going to be talking about key policy efforts concerning community economic development. But I would love to start out with just getting an introduction from each of you. So, Representative Dillard, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your work, and your role in local and state policy work? Sure. Um, and again, thank you so much for having me today. Um, you know, when I look back on it, um, my work started on the local level. Um, I was elected to Greenville City Council in 1999, and I had a platform at that time, and it still remains the same, hadn't veered too much, of community development, um, particularly in affordable housing and infrastructure and neighborhoods, and I'm proud to say that we were able to do just that. Um, um, the council that uh, I served with at that time, we made sure our underrepresented neighborhoods, uh, special emphasis neighborhoods, had master plans about how they wanted to grow economically in this uh, vibrant community that we have in Greenfield. And so that was a major contribution. And we also realized that if we were going to have affordable housing in our city, we really didn't have um, enough entities to build that. So we help build the capacity for a lot of the nonprofits that we have in Greenville City today. And so that work continued to transition as I went to the state house and was elected in 2009. Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> and so there I've continued to try to be helpful, uh, certainly with the broad means of education and healthcare and conservation, but my heart is always connected to uh, community and economic development um, on a more local scale. And so, you know, we've had the passage of tax credits. Uh, last year, I was very successful in getting a tax credit working with the housing authorities in a public-private partnership. But we've also introduced a tax credit bill for affordable housing uh, that can be used in conjunction with some other tax credits, and that happened last year. Um, and, um, you know, we just continue to look for those opportunities, and um, this is where I am. And in, in my day job, when I'm not <laughs> at the State House, I am the Director of Community Relations for Berkeley University. Wonderful. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and your role in, in state policy work? Sure. I, too, want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of this exciting podcast is honored to be uh, uh, 
involved with this podcast with Representative Dillard, who's a longtime champion, as you as you've heard, uh, for community development and for SCASED for our organization as well. Uh, SCASED is uh, coming up on 27 years, uh, and I have been fortunate to be part of its journey throughout that time. We started with four nonprofits in the state that uh, were classified as community development corporations. And today we have over 80 nonprofits uh, that are CDCs and community development financial institutions that are part of uh, SCASIT's membership. But we also have uh, members and partners uh, that involve the banking sector, uh, the business sector, local government, uh, corporations that are all partners and members of SCASA to recognize the need for affordable capital to be made available in local communities and to come up with programs that will assist our communities in becoming prosperous and vibrant. Uh, our membership uh, covers all uh, all the counties in South Carolina, all 46 counties, um, ranging from urban to rural, and each of those uh, organizations are addressing the local needs that exist uh, in that local community. So community economic development is very diverse. Uh, it is not just about housing, uh, but housing is a critical part of it. Uh, it's also ensuring that uh, communities have uh, the workforce uh, and opportunities for workforce development uh, has uh, opportunities for small business development, education, infrastructure, such as broadband, as well as uh, recognizing that communities have the ability to be a part of the travel and tourism uh, sector in our state as well. Uh, so uh, this this work has been very rewarding. Uh, I get to work with Representative Dillard and with Tammy and, and uh, all the members of SCASA which is a very dynamic and, and vibrant community economic development infrastructure in South Carolina. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Um, Tammy, before we dive deeper into community economic development, can you speak to how Community Works is involved in policy and why we decided to invite a Representative Dillard and Bernie to speak with us today? Absolutely. And again, Virginia, thanks, thanks for having me today. And I'm so honored to be on the platform here with uh, with Bernie and with uh, with Chandra. We both have a long history together in, in policy work. Community Works has had a long history, as uh, as uh, Chandra mentioned, in advocacy and policy. And really, the founding of Community Works was born out of a lot of the local work that Representative Dillard did early on around affordable housing strategies. Um, so it's great to see Community Works almost 12 years later continuing to advocate for community economic development. And of course, we've been a member with the CDC Association really since the beginning. And as uh, Chandra mentioned, we predominantly were focused on affordable housing here in Greenville when we first were founded in early 2008. It was really around creating local housing trust funds. So part of the idea, as uh, Chandra mentioned, was how do we have innovative financing tools to support affordable housing? How do we expand local partnerships and one model was to create local housing funds and, and Community Works really was the first Greenville housing fund back in 2008 and has continued to focus on affordable housing 
But as many folks know, we also have expanded that mission to really look at underrepresented individuals, not only from a housing standpoint, but also from an entrepreneurial and small business effort to focus on economic mobility and financial wellness, not only here in Greenville, but now, as many folks know, we are statewide. So we, too, like Bernie, serve the entire state as it relates to programs and, and opportunities. So you know, core to our mission has been addressing and removing the barriers of economic mobility and financial success for underserved communities, in particular people in communities of color. So in many cases, economic development solutions are directly tied to those policy changes or looking at righting the wrongs of past policy decisions, which in many cases is what many of our organizations are doing to be solutions to some of the challenges that have happened in the past. So um, I'm fortunate because I have known both Chandra and Bernie for, for many years. Uh, you know, uh, Chandra mentioned she was one of our founding board members. And when I was working in Charleston, had come up here to share uh, the local housing trust fund model with her and Deborah McKetty, the founding director of Community Works. Uh, and then Bernie and I, we go way back to Charleston as well. Probably Bernie might be showing our age here, about 25 years almost, <laughs> when uh, with your leadership had really been leading the charge uh, on equity and economic mobility for all South Carolinians when, when I was really just getting started in this work uh, in Charleston. So it's, it's an honor for me to be here talking with Chandra and Bernie on continuing our policy issues, continuing to solve the challenges that we face and really looking forward to the future. So it's a core goal for Community Works and a, and a core personal goal for me to, to work on these issues. Wonderful. And we're, we're excited to talk about looking ahead to 2021. It's, it's kind of crazy that we're already almost, you know, done with the second month of the year. But before we dive into that, um, you know, obviously the past uh, year now has been unprecedented. And I'd love to hear from each of you, um, starting with you, Representative Dillard, how um, how you saw COVID play out in your world and, and specifically how the General Assembly addressed COVID in 2020. Well, I tell you, Virginia, I remember the day, um, it was March the 11th, we had gone through our budget process. I had a birthday on March 10th. That's why I will never forget this. <laughs> and it was a pretty smooth budget process. Um, and we, you know, we General Assembly was going to, well, at least the House, we were going to take a uh, one week of furlough. And, um, you know, we never came back <laughs> because of COVID. And we just did not see that in our future. And so uh, immediately that was such a uh, uh, you know, we were in crisis mode and we kind of went into crisis mode. And, you know, before the CARES Act actually came, uh, made its way to South Carolina, the General Assembly did act. We acted by giving our governor um, emergency powers. Uh, those were the powers that he used to begin to close down uh, different uh, sectors of industry and business in our community. But we also took monies out of, of reserves uh, and gave those monies to DHEC and um, other providers for PPE COVID testing. You know, we didn't have masks then. Think about, you know, when COVID <laughs> hit, yeah. you know, trying to get PPE in and uh, we waived um, 
regulations for our school superintendent because then, you know, schools were closing down and we say, you know, we wanted to give her uh, the authority and the autonomy to do what was right for our children at that time. And so, um, you know, and so as we, you know, move through the process and the Federal CARES Act money did come, you know, we were able to think strategically about how to leverage that uh, with the state dollars that we had all already given. And uh, of course, I think people know that our governor um, kickstarted Accelerate SC, um, which addressed just about every sector in our um, state to see what, what was it going to take to get back up and running um, and what dollars were associated with that. And so, you know, that was a, a big undertaking and we are thankful for the many men and women who gave their time to that. And even, you know, talking with Tammy, Tammy gave some great ideas about how we could get these small businesses open through uh, additional loans and, um, you know, just try helping them keep their employees safe. And so, it was a myriad, uh, a myriad of things that took place um, in 2020, some of which we're still doing now, um, but it laid the foundation for, for, I think, where we are now. And hopefully we're a little better at, you know, keeping our businesses open. But now we, we're going into the vaccine phase, and I guess we can talk about that a little bit more, 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, Chandra, you know, I know us as a local CDFI and also having access to the Paycheck Protection Program, you know, we certainly were just like you guys kind of trying to address as quickly as possible the needs of small businesses and our nonprofit communities. So, Bernie, as the state association, um, you guys work with a lot of nonprofits across the state. Um, how did you all support those organizations during COVID and what are some of the things that you heard or that you know people were doing boots on the ground to address COVID? Sure, and, and one of the things we needed to do was to get our arms around what were the needs of our member organizations. So we hosted a number of listening sessions uh, to, to, to hear from our members of what they were facing in their local communities, what challenges, what opportunities existed. And then we were so fortunate uh, to have a number of our regular funders to recognize that this is an unusual time. This, these are unusual circumstances. And so we had a couple of our member organizations, our, our, our funders to step forward and to provide uh, some additional funding to us so that we could re-grant more funds to, uh, to our members because one of the things that we heard is that our members were going to need additional resources to meet the needs of their uh, customers and clients. And so the Maryland's Babcock Foundation, who funds us already, uh, stepped up with an additional uh, pot of money. And they then were joined by the Kellogg Foundation uh, to uh, provide additional funding. So uh, we were able to provide COVID uh, funding in two rounds, uh, uh, providing really a total of 30, uh, 36 grants to 36 organizations, totaling over $160,000 that we were able to deploy and uh, provide to, uh, to our, our member organizations. And, and forgive me, instead of the Kellogg Foundation, I meant the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. 
that that partnered with Kellogg, uh, with partnered with the Maryland's Babcock Foundation to provide that additional funding. We also partnered with one the One SC Fund uh, that uh, was providing some assistance to nonprofit organizations throughout the state. And again, those dollars were deployed and regranted to our members. So we're very fortunate to be able to get those dollars in the hands of our members. And in turn, they were able to serve more of their constituents um, with either rental assistance, housing assistance, basic needs uh, as far as food uh, and, and whatever they were needing to do at the local level. So we were fortunate in that regard to be able to get those resources in the hands of our members. Yes, and I know that there's, you know, a million more stories where those came from of, of ways that, you know, you guys have pivoted and ways that we've seen organizations and people step up in light of everything that's happened in 2020. But as we look ahead um, to 2021, I'd love uh, to hear from you guys, you know, what what you're hopeful for when it comes to community economic development. Um, and so Representative Dillard, could you share with us uh, what the top bills are that are facing the General Assembly this year in 2021? And if you'd like to share, you know, which ones you and your colleagues are sponsoring? Sure. Um, you know, when I think about 2021, certainly there are a lot of bills going through the state house, but uh, all roads still point to COVID because that is our economic right. development um, question of the day. You know, how do we get back to normal? And so uh, right off the, uh, you know, the top of session, you know, we still entertained another a vaccine infrastructure bill, $208 million, to make sure we, we can get everyone vaccinated who wants to be vaccinated in, this, in our state. Um, but some of the bills that uh, probably are getting more attention um, than others. Uh, again, one of the first bills we considered along with COVID, Santee Cooper, that was unfinished business from last year. And there's a lot of unfinished business from last year, thinking about how to reform and or um, take, uh, have a thoughtful way to look at proposals for anyone who might want to offer to purchase Santee Cooper, which is for your listeners, the state's energy provider. Um, and so uh, we entertain that. There will still be many, many bills about school reform. You know, how do we make our public schools better? I know there was a report that was just realized that says South Carolina has the worst public schools. And so that's not good for business. That's not good for kids, especially mm -hmm. if that is the case. And so we had a robust debate on Thursday. It took us almost to five o'clock about you know, do you take over school boards that aren't functioning? And so there's a lot of opinions about that. But um, we will still have to look at teacher recruitment, teacher raises. Um, there's probably another controversial bill about allowing the uh, money to follow students uh, in the funding process. And so that'll be coming up. Uh, also concealed weapon with permit to carry. It'll be another exciting video coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, probably uh, several bills around law enforcement reform. There was uh, this fall, after we were able to come back together, Ag Hot Committee looked at equitable justice and law enforcement reform. 
And one of the bills that is coming out of that is the hate crime bill. We're hopeful that it can see sunlight. It, it, it's, uh, it's going through committee right now. But South Carolina is one of three states remaining that does not have a hate crime bill. And that in itself, to me, says something toward economic development. So this year, the Chamber of Commerce, um, State Chamber of Commerce, and also our Greenville Chamber of Commerce has taken a pretty bold stand about seeing this bill um, passed. And so it, it is a great bill. And if we can get it going, we know it will uh, withstand uh, constitutional um, standing. And um, we're just looking forward to it. And then our abandoned building bill uh, legislation is up for review this year. So uh, we are looking forward to trying to get that uh, passed again because we know that that was a great economic uh, incentive for a lot of our cities and towns mm -hmm. um, to, to rid slum and blight and to have something more positive. So those are just a few of the things that yeah. we continue to look forward to this year. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, and Chandra, you mentioned the abandoned um, building incentive, and obviously there's several different um, incentives and tax credits that are made available to support community economic development. And you mentioned a few of those earlier when we just got started about, you know, a state tax credit for affordable housing and some of the other incentives. And Bernie, I know that uh, being a member of, of SCASED and, of course, an advocate for a lot of the work that we do as members, um, that... Can you speak to the Community Economic Development Act and the tax credit that really supports not only CDCs, but also CDFIs like Community Works to support the work that we do locally and, and maybe also share any other bills that you're monitoring this year that you think are important for listeners to hear about? Sure. Well, uh, at the top of our list, of course, is the uh, Community Development Tax Credit uh, ex extension. Uh, well, not extension, but uh, allocation. Uh, we have uh, authorization for a community development tax credit that that authorization goes through 2023. Uh, but we, they've placed a cap, the legislature has placed a cap on the amount of uh, cumulative as well as annual uh, tax credits that can be made available. And the last allocation we had in tax credits was in 2019 where the General Assembly provided a million dollars in tax credit. Uh, actually, the House gave us more, but uh, the Senate uh, put it uh, a cap at a million dollars. And that those, those tax credits uh, went uh, within 24 hours, once the door was open for those tax credits. So that said to us two things. One, there's a, an appetite for the tax credits by the investor community and the, the, the donor community. And, and of course, the, the way the tax credits work, they uh, incentivize private investment into certified community development corporations and community development financial institutions, such as Community Works. Uh, so Community Works can go to an individual donor, a corporation, uh, a bank, um, and if they... If that that private taxpayer is willing and interested in donating money to community works, they get half of their contribution as a credit against their state income tax. Uh, if they invest in community works, uh, they will get 33% of that investment 
as a credit against their state tax liability. That's a credit, not a deduction, a credit. And so when the credits were available, the last amount of credits were available in 2019, uh, they went within 24 hours. So we know there's an appetite. So we're asking the, the General Assembly to provide an additional allocation of tax credits. In other words, lift the ceiling, lift the cap, uh, at least for 2020, uh, to $2 million in tax credits. And since the authorization goes through 2023, to lift that cap uh, for uh, 2022 and 23 to $3 million each of those years. Uh, that, we think, will provide additional incentive as a catalyst to, to attract private contributions and private investment into community works and and other certified organizations throughout the state of South Carolina so that those private dollars can be used by the local organization to leverage and attract additional investment, additional uh, contributions. And in our last report, we saw that in some cases, local organizations like Community Works was able to leverage uh, that tax credit contribution sometimes 14 to one, sometimes 15 to one. So organizations like uh, Community Works is so great in taking uh, what is provided to them and leveraging it. And so we're, we're looking forward to uh, that uh, cap being raised for 2021, uh, 20, uh, 2022 and 2023. And so there's a bill that's in the Senate and we think there'll be shortly a bill available in the House as well. Uh, that would uh, uh, enable that, that cap to be raised. In addition to the, the tax credits, we're interested in uh, predatory lending. And I, I know the community works is also very interested in uh, anti-predatory lending, uh, recognizing that some people need these small dollar loans, but they don't need to be paying 300% interest rates on them. Um, and so, we're hoping to get legislation introduced, uh, if not this year, uh, early next year, but hopefully this year, uh, that would cap those interest rates at 36%. 36% is much better than 300% interest rate. Because we know that payday lenders, um, they extract capital, they extract money out of communities uh, by these uh, predatory practices. And so we want to, we want to see frankly, those institutions brought into a more responsible way of lending uh, in our community. Um, but while we're also looking at the legislation, we want to work with Community Works and others to see if an alternative loan product can be made available. And, and hopefully, uh, I'm looking to organizations like Community Works to help lead that charge because you're always and you're already innovative in, in how you're uh, providing financial resources to the local community. And then the final uh, bill that we are, or, or legislation, legislative priority we'd like to see is inclusionary zoning, because uh, that also impacts the availability of affordable housing, uh, which we know that that inventory, still the supply side, it does, does not meet the demand when it comes to affordable housing. It's much great work as uh, Representative Dillard has done at the 
local level with, with uh, city council and county council, uh, and even at the, the legislative level, we still need uh, those tools to help us increase the inventory of affordable housing, home ownership and rental. And so we've seen in other states where inclusionary zoning helps to, again, incentivize the development of affordable housing uh, in South Carolina. So th those are our priorities that we're going to be working on over the next couple of years and looking forward to working with members of the General Assembly to see those through successfully. Absolutely. And those are, are certainly issues that are near and dear to our mission here at Community Works. And Representative Diller, do you have anything that you'd like to add about, about the tax credit or about any bills that are supporting lower moderate income communities? And I always applaud Bernie and his organization for being the boots on the ground for, for these pieces of legislation. And Really, congratulations, Bernie, for being so successful over the years. Um, it's like climbing a mountain, though, in our General Assembly. But nevertheless, we have to take that hike, don't we? Um, but I, I agree with Bernie on the inclusionary zoning. Um, I have a theory, though. We, 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 we should draft a bill, but we can't call it that. Uh, or we're going to have to do some education of our General Assembly because, you know, we're a strong property rights state. And um, it needs to look more like a carrot than a stick. And so um, that's what I have been assessing as we talk about that. But uh, I'm sure working together, we can come up with, with some um, legislation that um, you know, might be um, have some consensus around it. At least I hope we can. But as I look at what is already kind of percolating out there, um, uh, I know that uh, Representative Brawley has, again, uh, filed her equal pay bill, equal work for equal pay. Uh, you know, I don't know if you realize, especially in among African-American women, we are 80% of a uh, single head of household. That includes me. So uh, I like all my money, and I know everybody else would too. And that in itself is an economic booster. Um, too many uh, communities. And so um, she has filed that bill. I also know that Representative Penn Darvis of Charleston has uh, a bill around eviction uh, that calls for mediation uh, uh, in the process of eviction. Uh, I think he got some leads here when he came to Greenville in the fall on that. It's something that we are doing here in Greenville that we don't have a policy around but we're trying to help people in the process. So we have now put that in the bill. Um, and um, my colleague, Representative Leo Robinson Simpson, her name might not be front and center on it this year, but she's still working on this with uh, some of our Republican colleagues, um, is a tax credit for businesses who employ ex-offenders. And so there seems to have been some interest before we left uh, on the other side of Al on this supporting her. So I know she's continuing to work on that. And then I have a bill and it's still in draft, but what it will do is allow renters to opt in if they would like to have their rent uh, be a part of their credit rating. You know, many low income individuals do not have credit but many of them pay rent on time, all the time. Um, but that is not factored into uh, 
you know, a, a credit rating. So this is a bill. Um, I won't tell you where it came from, but another state has it because if I say this state, <laughs> my colleagues are going to go, no, no. Um, um, but there is a state that has passed the bill. And so I have uh, am looking at their legislate, legislation and because I think that's great. And I do know countless number of people who, who continue to stay in the same place a long time. And they have been vigilant about paying their more, I mean, their rents every month. And so this would just allow them to opt in if they'd like to create a credit history around that rent. I'd just like to add, Virginia, just real quick, a couple of things that both Bernie and, and Representative Dillard mentioned that, you know, we're certainly very excited about here at Community Works. And as both of you know, we launched a women's business center here at Community Works uh, just last year in June. Um, and so we have been certainly tracking the pay equity bill that Representative Dillard mentioned. And, and what we're seeing, um, especially for female head of households, uh, is starting a business is now uh, their primary focus. And certainly because one, uh, the pay in their existing job has been so low, or two, they've been laid off due to the pandemic. And so certainly the Women's Business Center has been focused on that. And then the second thing to Bernie's point about predatory lending and, and payday lending, it's certainly a priority of ours associated with making sure that folks have access to affordable credit um, that is accessible and is fair. We think 36% uh, on a small dollar loan is certainly fair versus 300%. And of course, affordable housing goes back to the core of how we got started. Um, so the um, idea of a carrot or a voluntary uh, inclusionary zoning of some strategy that would support incentives for developers to participate would certainly be something I know we would be behind as well, Virginia. Virginia, if, if I may, um, I want to pick up on uh, an item I think that Representative Dillard talked about, which is renters. I, I want to give a shout out to our members in South Carolina, our, our nonprofit members, that's working with local government and state government to, uh, to provide rental assistance. Uh, that is the dollars that are coming into South Carolina uh, through the, the CARES Act from last year, as well as the omnibus um, bill that was passed in December. Um, this is one opportunity and this is one example of where nonprofit local organizations have been able to be a tremendous asset and resource to units of local government and state government to get those dollars out, to deploy those dollars. So right now, of course, you have the SC State program through SC Housing, uh, where that is, they're working in partnership with a number of nonprofits uh, to get that $25 million out to help prevent evictions uh, for those that, due to COVID, have, have fallen behind in their rent. And we understand that the state will be receiving $300 million or have may have already received $300 million in the last omnibus bill um, that will be going to, we think, going to SC Housing. And again, uh, those dollars have to get out and get on the street and get into the community. And we know a number of our members have um, uh, are going to be partnering with SC Housing to help get those dollars out and work with folk in the local community. So this is an example of how uh, effective our membership is, our nonprofit members, in helping to address such a critical uh, uh, issue that we're facing, which is evictions in South Carolina, which before the pandemic, South Carolina was number one in the country 
when it comes to evictions. And so this is at least one way that we can try to begin to right the ship uh, so that we can we can help get our, our, our communities, our citizens uh, back into the level of prosperity. Yes, thank you, Bernie. And, and to build off of that, um, when we speak of legislation like this, we have to acknowledge the importance of advocacy. And Skaysed has been hosting a really great um, advocacy bootcamp webinar series that I've been lucky to be a part of, and I've just gleaned a lot from so far. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk about what Skaysed is hoping to accomplish through the series and, and maybe touch on the importance of advocacy right now. Well, uh, Skaysed is was founded um, with having four main tenets of our work uh, and all to support our member organizations uh, and their communities through uh, training, technical assistance, access to capital, and advocacy. Advocacy was with us from the very beginning, and that has been a constant throughout our existence over the last 27 years. We do advocacy both directly, but mostly in partnership with our members, in partnership with uh, organizations, and, uh, and in partnership with communities. And if we can strengthen the capacity and the ability of our member organizations to be advocates, we'll be able to really bring about uh, some historic change in our state. So this seven-part series that began in January is designed to provide the breadth uh, of, of content about advocacy. There's so many nonprofits and so many of our members who hear advocacy and is a bit afraid that I can't get out there and I can't engage with Representative Dillard, or I can't talk to a state legislator, or I can't go to the county council meeting, or I can't go uh, and talk to the mayor. This is one designed to empower local groups and local uh, organizations to recognize that yes, you can. You can even lobby up to a certain point. So don't worry about that as long as you, you know, stay within those limits, but you can fully engage in the public policy process, uh, because in our state, uh, this last uh, situation that happened on um, January 6th brings to the forefront the history of not only our country, but our state and the role that our state played in, um, in, in Jim Crow and, and bring about an era of repression and oppression. And those are policies that put in place, were put in place after reconstruction, uh, when we were once again being able to move towards a more fair and just and equitable country. But because Jim Crow came into effect and pushed us back, we realized we've got to push forward. And the way to do that is to build the voice of everyone to be able to exercise their voice. Uh, so this series that have been developed ranges from advocacy one-on-one to building relationships with decision makers uh, to building out, out and using data to, to express your point and, and to just really drill down on, on those elements of advocacy that helps people to be comfortable uh, to engage with policymakers. We cannot think that because certain laws were passed previously that we're gonna be okay. Um, 
we already see that voting rights have been curtailed. We already see that certain policies have been challenged. So we cannot take for granted just because legislation was passed already that those, that, that legislation is going to protect us going forward. We have to be vigilant. We have to bring along the newest generation of voices. I'm so excited about uh, young people coming forward and running for public office and, and creating the, the opportunities to raise the voice of the local community. But we want to build their skills and abilities to, to work with and be a support to Representative Dillard and, and so that she can have uh, other colleagues in the legislature, both Democrat and Republican, uh, to hear these issues and, and to support these issues and know that folk back in their district, folk that are their constituents have said, I think you need to listen to this, this, this bill that Representative Dillard has introduced. We think this is important. So that's our goal is to really build out a whole new generation of advocates, of allies, of champions that's going to raise the voice of communities and, and low wealth people and to, to the degree that that our policymakers and decision makers take note and say that this is some work that we need to do. So to that end, Bernie, um, kind of just talking about the kind of accelerating the community economic development opportunities in, in South Carolina to support low and low income communities and underserved populations. Um, we certainly are looking forward to working with you on, on many of those legislative agenda items that you mentioned. I know also, Representative Dillard, that last year, because of the CARES Act funding that did come to South Carolina, the General Assembly was able to set aside some specific money to support small businesses and, and nonprofit organizations, which was wonderful. I know Bernie, you and Together SC fought really hard to make sure that not just small businesses were able to access those funds, but also non-for-profits. That money went in, I think, a couple weeks <laughs> by the time they announced the application and by the time folks uh, were able to submit. And I know it was well oversubscribed. We have heard that there is uh, about $123 million in the governor's budget. Um, I think that that's true. I guess the question, Representative Dillard, is, you know, what's the likelihood of that remaining in, in the budget for small businesses? And do you envision some funding also for nonprofits or is it too soon to, to know? Well, I certainly uh, will say that I believe that um, the General Assembly is still sympathetic to the um, conditions right now of, of small businesses and nonprofits. Um, but to that end where if the uh, governor's budget uh, items are all carried over <laughs> to the uh, General Assembly's budget yet to yet uh, remains to be seen. And I say that because, um, uh, you know, the Ways and Means Committee, uh, of which I am the newest member, I tell people I'm just in the room at this point. They haven't shown me the online account. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I will say we are still having um, um, subcommittee meetings. And as a matter of fact, you know, uh, we're being cautious, but we're still too optimistic because South Carolina is in a better financial position than a lot of other states. Um, and to that end, we have pushed our budget deliberations back. 
So normally we debate the budget. The budget is on the floor uh, mid-March. Again, just in time for my birthday. I don't understand it. I don't know why I never <laughs> celebrate with 123 of my closest <laughs> friends. But um, this year I'll be home. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, so we have pushed budget deliberations down to the final week of March, hoping that we will get another uh, BEA estimate of our revenue. And so, you know, that's what we're waiting on to really make some final decisions. So right now it's just, you know, hearing everybody out, telling them, give us your top two or three priorities, and then let's see where we can go past that. I mean, they they have more priorities, but, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to look at the top ones. And let's see where we can go. But I'm hopeful, Tammy. You know, I'm hopeful. Um, but it's all going to come down to revenue and meeting our constitutional uh, fiscal responsibilities, but also what we're charged with in running this state as well. And, and Representative Dillard, we're hopeful too, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you, you all did a wonderful job in last year's budget, uh, <laughs> which the pandemic tanked. Uh, but the House had two, had $1.5 million in it for uh, community economic development organizations, and that's apart from the tax credit. So we're hopeful that uh, that, that will be uh, a part of this year's budget, as well as the community uh, development tax credit, uh, because, you know, we saw some numbers that showed that uh, you have a reason to be cautiously optimistic uh, uh, revenue growth was up, I think, 5% in one uh, report. Uh, but we understand you want to be cautious. Uh, this is a conservative state and wants to be conservative with how dollars are projected. Uh, so we're, we're also optimistic and, and hopeful that, uh, that, that that budget will be able to reflect uh, uh, the needs of the state uh, because community economic development organizations are on the front line yes. uh, to help us uh, get out of this uh, economic crisis that we're in. And as was evident with how uh, a number of nonprofits were able to uh, play a role and to be funded uh, through the CARES Act one. And as Tammy indicated, it was highly oversubscribed, which shows the appetite and the need of nonprofits, small businesses, and especially minority businesses in this state. Uh, So uh, we're, well, congratulations, first of all, on being the newest member of Ways and Means. Uh, we look forward to working with you uh, over the coming uh, weeks, months, and years uh, to, to help fund the, the, the prioritized needs of the state. So you heard the two priorities that we have. Yes. Uh, the, uh, yes. the community development tax credit <laughs> and funding <laughs> for community. You, know, <laughs> you said two priorities. There they are. Two priorities. That's right. <laughs> There's our two, right, Bernie? Uh, that's right. That's right. And uh, and Bernie, and speaking of that, so again, it's 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 local, it's state, it's federal, right? There's solutions and opportunities that we need to look at at all levels of government. And we know that the new administration, the Biden Harris administration, is already working on their relief package to support states and lo- local communities as well, as well as you know non for profits and CDFIs. Uh, certainly, we know that they have a real interest in making sure that the grassroots organizations have access to these resources. Do you have any insight or, or anything that you're seeing um, sort of federally with the national association that you might think would impact South Carolina nonprofits and communities? 
Sure. Um, of course, we know that PPP is, is slated to be in uh, the new package. And I uh, just heard the president today talk about making sure that uh, minority uh, financial institutions are prioritized, uh, that um, uh, small businesses with 20 or less employees are prioritized to access PPP. Uh, so those, those are good uh, uh, signs that we are looking forward to. Uh, SCASED also works urban and rural. So uh, we understand that there's uh, interest and, and will be resources placed for rural development programs as well that uh, will support rural areas. And of course, we're excited to hear about the individual payments to, to individuals, uh, uh, the, the, those that uh, need that $1,600. So we think that that's important as well. Um, housing programs are what we're understanding is a priority. Uh, additional CDBG funding, we understand is going to be a priority as well. Um, and we're, we're hearing some rumblings about additional mortgage assistance, rental assistance, and housing development dollars. So those are some of the things that we're hearing that uh, are being prioritized and talked about in this initial uh, piece of legislation. There is some talk about broadband funding, um, but uh, you know that that is broadband is such a high ticket, um, a high price ticket. Uh, so, so we don't know whether that's going to make its way into the final legislation, but that is important to us in South Carolina for business development, for education, for, uh, remote healthcare. Uh, so broadband access is, is also a priority for us as well. Great. And I think, you know, to kind of start wrapping up, I'd love to ask both of you to respond to a couple of questions, um, for, Listeners who, you know, might want to be advocates and not really know where to start, uh, what would you suggest um, to be advocates or for advocates to be doing to encourage support from our congr congressional delegation? Well, you know, for, for me, I always tell people, start with knowing who represents you. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't know who represents them. And so... Um, you know, let's start with, you know, let's start at the bottom and work our way up. And then I always um, share with them, you know, place a phone call, uh, send an email, or, you know, the old-fashioned way of writing is still impressive, too, because we get so many emails, you know, when someone sends a handwritten letter. But start to form a relationship with that individual who, uh, represents you and who is supposed to be representing you. And, mm -hmm. you know, people may think that's, um, um, well, say not, not important, but it's very important because all of us, no matter what level uh, of government you find yourself serving in, we want to hear from the people that we represent. And nothing is more impressive. Okay, so I'm getting in the burning lane about advocacy, but nothing is more impressive than somebody sharing their feelings and their personal experience around whatever that issue is, um, because it is hard to um, to not believe someone who is telling you mm -hmm. 
their personal stories and stories change hearts and minds. Yeah, and I, I would definitely um, uh, say amen to everything that Representative Dillard said. One thing that I'd remind everyone, you are a constituent to some elected official or a great number of elected officials. So as a constituent, you have a voice uh, to share. Uh, and as Representative Dillard said, your story, you are the experts on issues at the local level. Individuals that are uh, living at the local level, you're the expert. You know what it's like to uh, deal with this pandemic. You know what it's like uh, to uh, wake up in the morning and not know whether you're gonna be able to feed your children. So you, the, the local person, you are the expert. And most often than not, you're the one making ends meet. You're the one finding ways to make it out of nowhere. So your elected official wants to and needs to hear from you. Uh, to be self-serving, I'd also say, uh, uh, participate in our advocacy boot camp. <laughs> you can go to www.scaced.org and you will see the registration there. This series is gonna go through April. And so uh, you can participate there and, and hear from some very uh, dynamic speakers, some very knowledgeable individuals uh, who know the system, know how to advocate, know how to mobilize local communities. Uh, and as Representative Dillard said, also start with knowing who your elected official is, because you are, you are, you are the constituent to everyone from the local, state, and federal level. You can, you're the constituent to two U.S. senators, Senator Tim Scott, Senator Lindsey Graham. You're their constituent. You have a congressperson, you have a, at least one, maybe more than one, uh, House member and state senator. And you, of course, have county council, city council members uh, that you are their constituent. So they need to hear from you. Call them, write them. You might even see them in the grocery store. Go up and talk to them. Um, I would dare say they'll be happy to see you. Be nice to them, be polite, thank them for their service, and then share your story with them. And, and those are impressive opportunities that I think that if they are an elected official like uh, Representative Dillard, they'll be happy to see you. They'll talk to you. Um, and, and then our state will be better because of it. And Bernie, I'd like to just say thank you. Thank you for your leadership and for your service in leading our statewide association and leading the charge for us, not only statewide, but nationally and uh, honored to continue to work with you on these issues. And as we try to create equity for all in South Carolina and representative Dillard, I just want to say personally, thank you. You are my house member in my district, as well as a board member here at community works and a long time leader an advocate for affordable housing and uh, economic mobility. So I want to thank you again, personally, for all that you do, not only for Greenville, but for South Carolina. Um, and Virginia, thank you for hosting us today in this important conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I think this is a, a good note to end on. And I just want to say that I will include a link to the Skaced website and where you can learn more about 
this organization and also where you can reach Representative Dillard or find out who your representative is. So we thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's been great. And thank you for hosting us. This has been a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Bernie, I see you at the state (laughs) house. Yes, ma'am.